Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Screen, The Harms of Cyberbullying. I'm your host, Devin Moore. I am a Humanity Rising Ambassador, founder of Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization, and I designed the hashtag Behind the Screen anti-cyberbullying curriculum. All right, and hello everyone again. I'm Dr. Sandeep Randhawa. I'm a forensic child and adolescent psychiatrist working in the Chicagoland area, uh, specifically specializing in helping youth uh, work through the traumatic experiences related to being victims of bullying and also dealing with the repercussions of uh, the effects from bullying as well. And as the host of Behind the Screen, we talk about the definition of cyberbullying, how to be upstanders, mental health, and we offer advice dealing with your bullying experiences. The topic for this episode is why do people bully based on a person's race and culture? Joining us today to talk about this is Dr. Janet Abukoya, also known as Dr. J. Dr. J is the CEO of Dr. J's Lounge LLC, a racial, ethnic, and cross-cultural educational coaching and training company that provides professional development workshops to individuals, educational institutions, nonprofits, and corporations. Dr. J is a Nigerian American scholar activist and educator who is deeply committed to improving the educational opportunities and outcomes of all students, particularly children of color and people with disabilities. Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in the Cafeteria is Dr. J's flagship novel. It addresses the triple condemnation of being Black, an immigrant, and a young girl in the United States while navigating various sociocultural contexts, identities, and expectations from abroad. Thank you for joining us, Dr. J. We would love for you to tell us more about the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat> Peace and blessings, everyone. My name is Dr. Janice. I'm the founder of drjslounge.com, where we have courageous conversations on race and identity in various nations. So my research actually focuses on the identity experiences of Black immigrants growing up in the U.S. We refer to them as 1.5 and second generation. And so what I and so what that means is that 1.5 means that they were born in the same in the case of my research participants in Nigeria. They come to the U.S. under the age of 12 and they grow up in the U.S. That's 1.5 generation. And the second generation are those that are born and raised in the U.S. and they grow up in the U.S. here. So those the second generation. So my research looks at how they create their racial and ethnic identities and how they navigate it within different social contexts. And from that dissertation work that was at the University of Maryland came this book, Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in the Cafeteria which basically tells the story of Shay, who was a Nigerian immigrant child growing up in the US and the issues that she faces with racism, colorism and xenophobia. So forward to talking with you more about that through the course of this conversation. Yeah, and I can unfortunately relate to Shay, who, like you said, is the main character of Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in that cafeteria, because mm -hmm. I understand going through hate based on my skin color the bullying that I went through led me to starting my race to speak up anti-bullying organization. And yeah. I designed the hashtag behind the screen anti-cyberbullying curriculum in order for students, parents, and teachers to get an understanding about what cyberbullying is, cyberbullying prevention, its effects, the mental health uh, issues, and how to be upstanders. And, and Dr. Sandeep, as a psychiatrist, you're able to share your own experiences through working with um, the youth who are dealing with bullying. 
Dr. Sandeep, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself? Sure. So uh, as Dr. Jay was mentioning, I have some experience where I was also a victim of bullying and just didn't know what was going on. A lot of it amplified right after 9-11, where friends that I thought were friends all of a sudden turned into, uh, I don't want to say enemies, but all of a sudden distant. And uh, having someone like spit at your feet all on the way to school. And I was like, wait, what the heck is going on? And having people all of a sudden believe that I had something to do with yeah, massive attacks into the U.S. And then the repercussions that came with it, whether it was at the airport and being that random or search parties or just, you know, just negative comments through and through. But what I've absorbed from that with the help of supports, mentors and others not helping me with the bullying piece is now being able to use that same foundation to help kids get through situations that they are unfamiliar with or when they're bullying or getting bullied, uh, especially when the question comes up of, well, I can tell you, but you, you don't know what I'm talking about or you don't know what I've been through. And of course, everyone's road is different, but if you have a relatable experience, it speaks volumes and there's a connection that can be made and I've seen be made, which then can build their confidence on how to deal with bullying and then realize that they don't need to hate themselves or take upon any type of depressive feelings or try to injure themselves or listen to whatever the bully is saying and said, uh, we learn ways to counter them and then become more confident in themselves. So they, that That's way they right. can tackle That's anything right. that comes their way. Yeah. So, uh, and what, what I've seen with bullying, especially the last couple of years, especially with the cyber sense is, uh, just when you think you've heard and seen everything, another case comes up and it just throws another curveball of, uh, you know, an impact someone had to go through. And I think that's one key element of bullying and is that it continues to fluctuate in intensity and have many different faces on how someone can attack you and hurt you and intentionally do harm without uh, really realizing the impact of it, especially behind the screens. So if it's beneficial in that sense. Mm -hmm. If I could follow up on what Doc is saying, I think um, it's, it's really important to even first as a baseline distinguish between face-to-face -face bullying and cyberbullying, right? So when we think about face-to-face -face bullying um, within the schooling context, we think about it being in the classroom, in the hallways, um, and within the case of, of the book, um, Some Black Girls, it's in the cafeteria, right? When Shay's being picked on with the different foods that she eats, the jollof rice, the ogono soup with their body, it was a problem for her African-American peers. So it happened within the cafeteria context. So it's face-to-face -face is one situation, but then cyberbullying, yo, that can happen at any time, at any place. So you could be chilling with your family, having a beautiful dinner. Somebody sends you a text message, you know, insulting your hair for the day. That will shoot you down right there. You know, that's the power that, that, that cyberbullying has. So that's why one of the reasons when I have dinner with people, I have a, have a policy. If you are having dinner with Dr. J, no phones. No phones, no phones. And whoever uses the phone first pays for dinner. <laughs> 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 that generally shuts the, put the phone away for most people, right? Because I've seen too many situations 
where somebody gets a text message and just ruins everything. It ruins that moment, that special time that you have with your loved one. And so I have a policy of no phones during dinner. But 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 cyberbullying is that's the power that it has. It can happen at any time at any place. So it's very important for parents and even individuals to be aware of how what it looks like, how it manifests itself, so you can protect yourself. Yeah, right, Dr. J. The fact that the bully is literally behind the screen, it gives them this false sense of security and makes them yeah. feel powerful. And they use that power that they feel they have in order to hurt others. That's right. Yeah. And then, as I said earlier, I've experienced racist bullying. I've experienced the hate just for being Black, just for my beautiful melanin. So Dr. J, you're from Nigeria. What was yeah. your experience like moving to the United States and going to school here? Well, um, you know, I, I could relate to a lot of the experiences that my participants in my research study um, discussed. They shared that they had a lot of issues around um, teasing and bullying about being African. Um, there were a lot of African stereotypes that were very prevalent. And those came about, uh, you know, based on what people were seeing in the media. You know, think about the media in the 1970s, 1980s. This was the time period these young people were born, um, 1990s, some of them. And what they saw were Tarzan, you know, um, you know the parents may, may have read books like from John Conrad, Heart of Darkness, that described Africans as primitive, as, 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 as evil beings, as cannibals, um, that, you know, Africa is a, is a dark continent. Don't go to Africa, they'll eat you. You know, we're diseased. That's how we were portrayed. That's how Africans have been portrayed for so many centuries. Chinua Achebe even, even lamented about how Africans have been, um, have been portrayed in the, in the Western, Western image for so long. Very negative, very hateful, in fact. And so for many students, African students, that is how their peers see them. Their peers view them from those perspectives that they have seen in the media. Those images of the starving children with the swollen bellies, with the flies swarming around their, their heads. The images of you know, um, people living in, 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 in huts, um, people running around with lions and tigers. So students will be asked questions like, you know, do you run with lions and tigers in Africa? You know, um, <laughs> do you all eat people in Africa? These are questions that people would ask students, you know, young people that are trying to learn geometry in 10th grade. You know, nobody, I'm not thinking about, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 and, 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 and those questions are so, they're so belittling because for many of these students, that's not their experience. Many of them may have come from middle-class backgrounds in Nigeria where they went, where they had lived in cities or, or more developed areas. Um, and so that wasn't their experience. Not, not to say that, that what I described doesn't exist, it absolutely does exist, but it wasn't the experience of these individuals. And what they found was that those images, those media images, those even those, those newspapers, the National Geographic back in the 70s and 80s, you know, um, in the libraries, the way it portrayed African people wasn't with a very culturally critical perspective. It was actually from a very deficit perspective, which had a very negative impact on those kids who identified as African. 
And so what we find, what I found in my research was that for many African students, they wanted to distance themselves from anything African because they didn't want to be teased. Um, they didn't want to be bullied. They didn't want to be beaten up for, in some cases. Um, so, what we're, so what I did was um, I used the, the findings from that dissertation. I published it in, in journals, the Journal of Higher Education and, and different journals, different outlets, different um, book chapters as well. But it wasn't getting, when I, the more I worked with students, um, when I was in California and also even here in the DC area, I was seeing that they were still going, they were still going through the same things my students went through, my participants went through 20, 30 years ago. They're still dealing with these same issues. In fact, you even described it for yourself, Devin, when you said they were using images of, of, of monkeys or gorillas to, de to describe you. That goes back centuries, brother. You're not the first, you're not going to be the last. That goes, that goes back centuries and how they just how they described black people. And they use, they're using those images to, images to, um, to harass you, essentially what they're doing. And so what I've done is I've taken, during the pandemic, it's given me a time, time to write more. Um, and so I took the findings from my research um, and, and the narratives from the students and just turned it into a short book, a short book that teachers, parents, students could read they could and they could understand the experiences of primarily immigrant students, but this can be the experience of any minoritized student. So any student that's minority, that becomes a minority in a predominantly whatever context. So for this case, in this case, um, Shayi is in a, in, a, in a heterogeneous racial context, but she wanted to be within her black community, the African-American community. She wanted to connect with them. And she wasn't connecting because she was seen as too different. She was seen as too African. She was seen as not black enough. And what they mean by not black enough is that she wasn't behaving in the in the in the norms and behaviors or using the the language that they use to communicate. So that they, that othered her. And so by othering her, they bullied her. They bullied her. There was one particular student, Keisha, Keisha Henderson. She is the queen bee, the the eighth boom queen. She ran that school. Yes. Yeah, very, a very bright sister, very bright sister, but she was intimidated by Shay's difference. Um, you know, there's a scene where uh, Shay's eating her obono soup, which is a, a traditional Nigerian dish. Very delicious, actually slimy. It looks strange. When you look at it, it looks strange, but it's delicious, I promise you. And she's like, what's that doo-doo soup you eating over there? Imagine, Devin, you're eating all... I'm eating my food, minding my business. And someone says to me, what is that doo-doo soup you eating over there? Automatically, you lose your appetite. Automatically, think about it, that image alone. Automatically, you lose your appetite. And then just think about the social discomfort that causes you, because this is in a, in a cafeteria. These are your peers, student, students, teachers, administrators, you know, all these people around, they hear her. So, so the, the, the bullying, is, it's, um, it takes place in different forms, in different places, um, but we have to shut it down. 
we have to shut it down. You can't let bullies continue. Well, I know we'll talk about, I'll let the psychiatrist say a little bit more about that, but, <laughs> but I no know it's no shut it down. <laughs> so Dr. Cindy, would you like to add on? I mean, and like, what has been your experience? Cause you're North Indian American. So like, what's been your experience in school? And like, did you ever feel you were different? Uh, I never felt that I was different. I, but again, it was secondary to having a support system where, so my father, when he came to the country, had a turban and went through a lot more of this than I did. Cause uh, I remember growing up, I wanted to wear a turban and he would make it a point when I was in elementary or younger. Uh, he would tell me, no, when you're older, a professional, then we'll let you wear the turban. So it almost, I, I felt bad. I felt like rebelling against him just on that because I was like, okay, why are you keeping my culture away? I'm Sikh by religion. So the turban is a big part. And then I had cousins and my grandfather would wear it. So I'd want to have that type of identity. But then later on found out that when he came to the country as a pharmacist, he got basically bullied uh, due to his race, due to his culture and, and really kind of, uh, looked down upon from, by doctors that were that he was prescribing or you know dispensing medicine for so that then led to him cutting off his own hair and and wow. removing his turban which is a huge huge uh thing against our religion but he had to conform to the things that were going on in the u.s and this was chicago circa 1970 mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of the underpinnings in the household but it led to him saying you know if uh, basically, you know, you're, you're strong, you're, you're not different than anybody else. Basically, if anybody else can do something, you could do something. But uh, I grew up in Iowa, so I didn't really experience a lot until, like I was mentioning, 9-11 happened. And overnight, it felt like a different series of things. But looking back, as Dr. J was mentioning, there would be underpinnings of things where we would tease each other and not really think too much of it until I think I got older, where uh, those that would see TV, like for instance, The Simpsons, Abu, you know, doing the classical yes, Indian Abu. thing, you know, and, but it, it didn't really affect me much I, I, at all, actually. It, it would be just kind of a joke, be like, all right, cool, well, uh, nothing past it. But then as I got older and after the 9 11 thing happened, it was nobody really knew Islam versus Hindu versus Sikh or anything really, but they would just make comments like, oh, you must do. If they come over, or if I've met, met them, uh, you must pray to like 15 different gods, and you can't eat cows because you have to marry them, and, and small underpinnings <laughs> such as that, right? And it, it would be, yeah, it would be ridiculous type of scenarios. But uh, what I ended up starting to do was just embrace it and not give it more attention than it was needed, uh, and 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 try to learn how to do the what we describe as like the paradox of what someone's expecting because as someone's trying to bully you they're you know intentionally trying to hurt you and hoping that you'll react and and then they'll know that they got under your skin so I really started working on navigating the opposite of what they would expect even if it bothered me just so I wouldn't give them that gratification mm -hmm. uh, in the moment but it took a lot of practice to get to that point and again, it was it was related to the supports I had because there'd be days where I'd be like, well, shit, am I doing the right thing? Or, you know, I, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. They're going to make fun of this, the smallest thing. Uh, but the more I started to embrace it, the better it got. And the more I was able to flip it on them, uh, the easier it got as well. And that's something we incorporate even in the unit sometimes where, like Dr. J was mentioning, if someone were to say uh, that in the, in the classroom or cafeteria where you're drinking doo-doo soup, my now what we try to practice is 
have the person agree to it because it doesn't really make a difference if you're going to challenge them or try to educate them. You know, it's past that. Instead, doing the opposite of what they expect. So, for instance, maybe going uh, again. I haven't read the book yet, but uh, something along the lines like, "Oh yeah, this is so delicious. You know, you know about it, right? Because how else would you know about doo doo soup, right? Because you've had it too, right?" And kind of neutralizing it with a little <laughs> bit of humor, and then basically, if you neutralize it with humor, the other person at most can do what? Like say, "No, I don't know about it." Be like, "Uh huh, you just called it doo doo soup. How'd you know that's the name, right?" So you you turn a negative into a positive, but it takes, again, that practice in the moment because yeah. our gut reaction is usually to defend, walk away or, or react. Uh, but, uh, you know, like we've been saying, bullying has many different faces. And once upon a time, once you left the school, you were good for at least 14 to 16 hours. Now yes. you could leave school and someone could take a compromising photo of you or whatever, post it, and there goes your night when you see it on it text or social media. It goes exactly. That's a very interesting concept, though, because Dr. Sandeep, I remember when uh, we met up and you were talking to me and the other people that we were with about how you turned the negative into a positive by um, doing what you said, like by someone saying something so hurtful to you and you just kind of agreeing with it and doing the unexpected. I think that's a really interesting concept that people can do, not all the time, because there are definitely times where it's too much and you just may not know what to do. But I just like thinking about it is really interesting because um, like bullying has so many different um, aspects and there's different ways to um, like dive in on like how to retaliate. I don't, want, I don't think I wanna use the word retaliate, just kind of like what you can do in those instances. And so I think that's why it's really good to have an anti-cyberbullying or just an anti-bullying curriculum like hashtag behind the screen in schools to really start that conversation and really like understand how like what is bullying, what isn't bullying, what's right to say, what's not right to say. You know, we need stuff like that in schools. Absolutely. We need for the teachers to understand that too because the teachers, that's a whole nother story because if a teacher is seeing someone, um, or excuse me, if a teacher is seeing two students, one of the students is um, continuously um, being rude and hating on um, another person, say like a black person for their culture, a black person for their skin color, a black person for whatever that makes them black, you know, that is not right. And we kind of, we need something that allows for them to understand, at least just know that that's wrong. And at least just know that you need to do something about it. You need to figure out, you know, what can we do? And that's why we have this curriculum to help, to help not only students, but also teachers and parents as well, understand cyberbullying and understand these misconceptions. Cause there's way too many misconceptions when it comes to bullying. And so that's why I'm happy that, you know, we have Dr. J's books, Some Black Girls, because we're able to understand from Shay's perspective. We're able to see this, um, this black girl trying to just fit in with or, or this you know Nigerian American trying to just fit in with other black girls you know someone that looks like them but not being able to fit in it's almost terrifying because that bullying makes you it distances you from your culture it distances you from what makes you you almost it makes you lose connection with yourself so, That's right. so I actually want to uh, <clears throat> make a few points if you don't mind Devin from what you just said there um 
the, the majority of the teaching force that we have in the United States is, is white or white teachers, white women in particular. And so what we found is that many white teachers aren't comfortable talking about this, these issues around race and identity because one, they have not had to explore their own racial and ethnic identities before. They have not had to really unpack it because white people have been the majority in the US for, for many centuries now. And then two, you know, in many of our teacher education programs, they may or may not take a multicultural education 101 class, you know, but they don't get really in depth in how to, you know, address issues of race and identity and bullying, racial microaggressions, all these issues that happen um, within with minoritized populations. They don't learn how to address it. And so when, when they see these issues happening within schools, within the school setting, they don't know how to respond. Oftentimes, oftentimes they'll just look, look the other way, or you know, if they're brave enough to say something, they'll make a statement, a general statement, simmer down, you know, be quiet, okay, stop it. But to actually interrupt the bullying, to stop it, to correct it, to educate the students that's doing the bullying or correct the students that's doing the bullying, Many teachers aren't, aren't, aren't able to do that. They're afraid to do it for a variety of reasons. And so part of what we've been doing at drjslounge.com is not only educating parents on you know, what's the racial microaggressions and other issues that students may be facing in schools, but we also offer workshop and professional, professional development trainings for teachers and administrators as well. So they can start to understand first the diversity that exists within the black population. That's basic knowledge that many people don't know. Many people still think that the majority of black people that, that exist in the United States are African-Americans. While they are, the majority are, one in 10 black people in the US are now immigrants. It has been the immigrant population, the black immigrant population has been growing for decades now. And it hasn't been until, um, you know, during President Obama's presidency that people started to really identify with the African continent, you know, he's half Kenyan, half, half, half white. So, um, you know, these issues, many teachers don't know how to address these issues. They haven't been taught how to address these issues. So one of the things that we have to do within the field of education is start to have real and open, courageous conversations about race and how race operates within the schooling context. If we don't do that, we'll never get at these real issues. And we also need to educate our students and staff and families about the diversity that exists within the black population. You know, at the, we had, and I'll just, just a quick rundown, um, you know, uh, I'll start from the eighth and ninth century. <laughs> Go back there, the eighth and ninth century, you know, CE, we had the, the, um, the, 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 within the African continent, the Arab slave trade, right? We had Africans being forcibly removed to the Middle East and India. Um, then we had um, in the 15th century, the transatlantic slave trade where Africans were forcibly removed from West Africa, Central, Af Central Africa to, to the new world, you know, North America, South America, Europe, right? So, but then after the transatlantic slave trade, we didn't see very much movement of people coming from the African diaspora, from coming from Africa, from continent Africa. It wasn't until the 1965 Hart-Celler Act and the 1965 Voters, Voters' Rights Act that basically changed the game. It changed the game. You know, before, 
before there was limited migration, right? It was, it favored, migration favored white European nations. It was, it was very much geared towards bringing them to the US. But post 1965 and with the efforts of, of, the, of the civil rights movement, you know, the, the doors of the US were opened, the borders were opened up. Um, and so we started to see more immigrants coming in from the African continent, more immigrants coming in from South Asia, from all over the, the Asian continent, more immigrants coming in from South America, from Europe. And these were immigrants that came in with color, with melanin in their skin. So black immigrants in particular, we look, we've been here, right? We've been here. Um, but we weren't, we were invisible. We were invisible to the US population because they were categorizing us as African-American, you know, not Nigerian. It, it, I, I, there was many situations I was, where I was in school where I would, they would ask me, where are you from? Because I, when I first moved to the US, I had an accent. It was through ESL, English, English is a second language, that, um, and, and, and people really um, discouraging my parents um, from speaking Yoruba to us, that you hear this now very American accent. But don't be fooled though, I can pick up the Nigerian accent. <laughs> and that's just from code switching, right? You learn that from being around your people. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but these, are, these are issues that, that, are, that are brought up within schools that teachers are, are not aware of. Right? They don't know the diversity that exists within the Black population, but, it's, but it's, it's been diversifying, the U.S. population has been diversifying for, for decades now. And so now we need to now educate more people. So that, that's how this, um, the healing starts to, and the, and the healing and the forgiveness starts to happen. Once we start to educate each other about our histories, our traumas, our experiences, our understandings about life. That's those that that kind of interaction, those kind of that, that kind of dialogue, that kind of elevated consciousness. That's what helps us to grow together as a society. Yeah. yeah, with that education, there will be that positive change. There will be that positive solution. We just Absolutely. put up a ad. I mean, excuse me. We just put up a poll saying, you know, have you ever been bullied? But the, the majority of the people in this um, webinar saying, yes, they have been bullied. And I see in the chat right now, someone or Peyton said, I really wish more schools had multicultural um, culture educational classes because there are so many people who are wronged and don't know because of ignorance. My father didn't even know cities existed in Africa until I told him he's 50 years yeah. old. Wow. Um, I'm not surprised, my, 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 my courageous reader. Um, I know PhDs that don't know that, um, that Africa is a continent and not a country. Um, so so don't, be, don't be too hard on him. Um, you know, the US education system has done a poor job educating um, its citizens on the continent of Africa and African people. And I think most, pe I think most of you would agree with me. Um, but just a quick rundown, the continent of Africa, we have 54 individual independent countries with over 1 billion people. We speak over 2,000 languages. There's, there's not just one African language. Which one? Yoruba, House, Igbo. Which one? There's over 2,000 languages, not to mention the dialects. So it's a very diverse and gorgeous, beautiful continent. And it's a paradox. You have the the wealthiest of the wealthy of the wealthy, wealthy, wealthy to the poorest of the poor to the dirt poor, right? There's a, there's a gamut, there's a range 
um, that exists within the continent. But it's a, it's, a, it's a big, beautiful place to be. And I love it dearly. That's one of the reasons why I love to educate about it. Um, because uh, the, the ignorance is, is, is astounding. And for, for young people, especially for, for young African immigrants who are just trying to figure out the US context, because let me tell you, coming into this country as a dark skinned immigrant, hey, Chale, it's not easy. Oh. <laughs> it's not, it's not easy. Oh. Between the xenophobia and the colorism, and, and, and depending on your status, your, your class status, you know, I, I pray you come in with middle class or upper class background because being poor in the US is not cute, right? So when so when we think about all these issues, it's really important to educate our African brothers and sisters who are coming here. It's really important to educate people who are really thinking about relocating to the US, you know, to live here because all we see, all we see in the media, I, I remember as a young person, all we see in the media is the Hollywood, honey. You just want to go to Hollywood, California. You just want to be in Hollywood. The, like the, 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 the trees are made of, 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 of dollar bills, $100 bills. The roads are paid of gold. You know, life is beautiful and everything is California and sunny. Man, you come here, reality sets in. <laughs> reality sets in. So it's really important for us to be to share with our people, both domestically and internationally, what is really happening? What is really happening? Because you can drive down the street looking like me and get shot, depending on where you are. Think about what happened to George Floyd. George Floyd was my skin color. That brother's not too much different from me, right? People like him, just, just everyday things, every, walking down the streets in the U.S., you can be gunned down depending on where you are, absolutely. Doing nothing, going to a Starbucks and sitting, minding your own business, you know, waiting for a friend, you know, waiting for a friend before you order coffee. That's not unheard of. I do that, right? But they're harassed. People are, Black people are harassed. Having a barbecue, harassed. Walking your dog, you're harassed. I mean, it's like just because of skin color, because of how people have been socialized to think of Black people. It's called Afrophobia. Look it up. Afrophobia is the is, is is the is pathologizing the entire continent of Africa and its descendants. It's viewing us as primitive, diseased, undesirable. It's it's, it's pitches us as 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 ignorant, as 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 non-contributing to human society, and it's based in white supremacy. It's based in white supremacist thought that has been perpetuated in our literature, in our media, in our conversations with each other. It has, it has perpetuated everything. That's why, that is why our students don't know their own histories. Why is it that students are leaving, they're graduating with PhDs and they don't know that 54 countries exist on the continent of Africa? Why are students leaving high school and don't know the one of the richest men in the world was Mansa Musa? Mansa Musa from Mali. But no, they know about Jeff Bezos and everybody else, but they're not taught African history. They're not taught about African peoples and they're denied their heritage. They've been denied their heritage. And what that does is it, 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 it makes you feel less than. It makes you feel like you don't belong. Yeah. It makes you feel like you don't have history. 
It makes me feel like your people don't deserve anything better than what they have. Why? Because that's what has been taught. That's what they see. So until we start to change the narrative, counter narratives and critical race theory, I know there's a lot of debates within education about this, but I really wish that people would read and study the roots of CRT before jumping to conclusions. Critical race theory is a perspective on race. It's an analytical tool that came out of, of um, the, the 60s and 70s social rights movements and the, the civil rights movement in the US to try to understand why is it that even after the Emancipation Proclamation, even after the abolition of slavery, Black people are still at the bottom. We're, we're, the, we're, we're in the prisons. We're, the, we're doing the worst in, in education. We're, we're the poorest of any group. Why? Why? So critical race theory, it attempts to understand how race operates in the U.S. So, so I, I really wish that, and I know, and, and this, is a, this is moving to a different conversation. I hope that we have this again in the future, but I want, I really encourage your readers to take a moment and look up critical race theory. Study Dr. Derek Bell, the, the founder, the, the father of CRT. Look up Dr. Dr. Derek Bell. Look up Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Look up Dr. Um, Dr. Marvin Lynn. Look up Dr. Daniel Solorzano. Look up Dr. Tara Yoso. These are scholars. These are brilliant scholars that have looked at, they're looking at how race impacts minoritized people in schools. They'll let you know that, look, if you have these kinds of practices, policies in your schools, they don't help, they don't help marginalized students. Instead, what helps students is knowing about their history. That's what helps students. What helps students is knowing how racial microaggressions impact them and how they can fight about, how they can fight against it. That's what helps students. What, what does not help students is saying, oh, let's all hold hands and get along. That's, that's the, and, and, and oh, I don't see color. You are, you are a liar. You are a liar. I remember people telling me, <laughs> and this is, this is before I, 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 I took the course on critical race theory by Dr. Marvin Lynn at the University of Maryland College Park. Um, and, and, and I remember, man, it was because of that class that I, I, I created my dance fitness program, Sucosa Fitness, because I needed an outlet to move my body, to remove those toxins and negative energy I was receiving about how Black people were perceived in the West, how people like me were being viewed as undesirable. How dare you? I am Hannah. When I would read that literature, Hannah, <laughs> I would be so upset, right? So I needed an outlet. I, and I use dance fitness, you know, as an outlet to, to, re, to release that energy. Because when you're being told that you're less than in, the, in, the, in, your, in your school books, imagine in your school books, in, in the videos, you know, the movies that will show of African people with plates in their mouth. They will show the most exotic, the most primitive. They would never show cities. They would never show the sprawling Legos. Hey, go to, go to Abuja, go to Legos, sprawling cities. Some houses are bigger than what y'all have here in the United States. Yes, honey. Yes, because there are millionaires and billionaires in Nigeria. We have oil, baby. What do you think? Yes. And now that there is corruption as well. But that's a separate conversation, right? <laughs> That's a different conversation, right? 
but but the point is that people aren't educated about these issues and and, and these these realities and it's sad it's sad like our our young um a courageous reader that commented said about you know his father not knowing you know about africa that is the reality of many americans but thanks you know i'm i'm thankful nonetheless because now you have people like me I like to refer to myself as the immigrant whisperer. We have people like you. <laughs> we have people like, you know, the individuals here that are learning through conversations, through courageous conversations. They're learning by traveling abroad. They're learning by watching documentaries on YouTube by people who live and learn and work in these countries. So, you know, now people are learning. So I'm thankful. But now the, the impetus, the, the, the fact is that the reality is that we have to continue to have these conversations, continue to have this learning, continue to have these very tough dialogues about how certain people are mistreated in this country. Because once we have those conversations, then we can create policies, we can create practices, we can create laws that benefits everyone, not just a certain class. Right, which is what we want. That's the ideal of the U.S. It's the home of the free, right? Let home of the free, land of the brave. That's what that's what we're here for, right? So we want laws and policies and rules that benefit everyone, not just some people, the privileged few. You know, Dr. J, you bring up a lot of great facts because so um, something else that you brought up is just uh, well, well, one of the main things, which is literally just knowing your history. So that reminds me of. Um, so recently for my school's chapel, I um, got up and I read something that I wrote up, I wrote up dealing with um, a quote, but it was dealing with Black History Month. And so um, I saw something from Maya Angelou and it was basically saying, the more you know of your history, the more liberated you'll feel. And like doing my own research about Black historical figures and just knowing things that my parents have had to teach me, like not even, like schools really need to um teach us teach us about these things because I've had to do my own research just right. to understand. I'm learning from you. I'm happy to be learning from you, but I've learned from you know people outside of school. Like I need to learn this stuff in school. We're going to school to learn, so we need to learn a lot of different things. We need to understand that our world is diverse. There are areas of this world that um there's areas of this world that may be more predominantly this or more predominantly that, but we're still having so many different cultures, so many different people, so many different um, skin colors, so many different uh, everything. And we need to, you know, under, we need to learn from these different things. That's why I'm also, I'm glad you brought up studying abroad because I definitely would like to study abroad. That's something Absolutely. I've been wanting to do. That's something I've been wanting to do. This whole pandemic has kind of scared me because I want to study abroad. I want to learn from these different cultures. You know, students are curious. We're curious. Everyone's curious. And so we need to learn these things. We need people who are able to educate us like yourself and like, you know, like all these different educators who understand the misconceptions, who understand that there's different variations, that there's different colors, there's different everything. You know, we're all, we're all human. If you really look at it, like scientifically, there's really only one race and that is the human race, right. you know? So let's focus on that. Let's focus on that. I see another, um, so let's take a look at the chat. So I'm glad we're having a lot of great things said in the chat. Um, Emily said, it took until this year, my junior year to learn about the 
Little Rock Nine, even though they were a huge part of taking apart segregation, and we didn't even spend more than maybe maybe 10 minutes on the topic. Even then, we learned that that time is so long ago, but the people who threw acid on Black students for trying to go to school are still alive today. Right. Wow. Let's continue on. Um, I just, I see another comment. Okay, so on another, Ethan said, on another perspective, I've seen racism and prejudice towards other Asian Americans, especially during the recent rise of the COVID pandemic. Even with Asian Americans simply trying to engage in conversations and connect, they were blamed for the incident when they themselves are not directly responsible and don't deserve the blame. Um, Dr. Um, Jay or Dr. Cindy, would you like to add on? Would you like to say anything about this? Uh, oh, Dr. Cindy, would you like to start? Uh, I, I mean, I think that goes to Dr. Jay, your point earlier where uh, sometimes when you have a medium level of your own culture and there's your own culture or your own, let's say technically race will hate on you for not being, uh, you know, intense enough to, to match what they are. So you, you find yourself stuck. And I can speak to at least the Indian community. Uh, also often they, we, you know, I'll, call, I'll talk to my grandparents or let's say some elders and they have these fixed views, but coming out of an era where, you know, politically correct was never on the agenda. So they'll say things about other Indians or they must be from this part of India. They must be, and therefore their characteristics are so-and-so. And so- Oh yeah, when, a lot of minority. Exactly, yeah. they'll, they'll minor, they're minoritize the minority and not realize <laughs> that you could just be cool with each other, right? And like most of India is supposed to not have a caste system, but yet there's still a caste system. And they'll yeah. speak to stuff that happened so long ago and I, I think overall just PC culture hasn't really caught up even within America where we're now starting to take accountability and apologizing for things that have happened in the past. And I think until that really starts from, again, from the top, the curriculum in school is not going to change. And all the more reason to, for something like what you're doing, Devin, is great because I see bullying as uh, on a day to day, you don't know where, when it might happen, or you may, if it's happening repeatedly, but each day can be different. It's almost like going to war. And so when you're going to war, let's say, uh, and you don't know what to expect, you want to have an arsenal of weapons on what to say, how to react, how to handle it, and not having just one, because if you try one, it doesn't work, then that could really hurt you even more so and, and take you 10 steps back. So this curriculum having, uh, Dr. J, I love the, you know, your animated style of being able to describe what and uh, the things you've experienced is so great because Again, all of these fundamentals are needed uh, in order to be able to challenge what others are doing because they're unfamiliar with someone's background or the way they look. Or, uh, and I think there was a message where uh, the, the way your house smells, if it's spices or whatever else, I would use something like that to make fun of, of some of my friends that don't put spices in their food. Because like, oh my God, you know, I can Land. smell it. Oh boy, yeah. food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you I'll, you I'll need just, some of these spices. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Columbus was looking for the spices, but showed up here instead of India. You know, so it's, it's things like that. Boy, huh? yeah. it's just things like that where if you have your own historical narrative, you can use that yeah. as an arsenal in the moment to intellectualize or at least educate or neutralize, like I was saying early, earlier, neutralize with education. And that's the, the, the middle ground that I definitely encourage with any and all youth is know your culture, know your background, know your homework, 
but at the same time be open to having a healthy conversation and no one to step away because over the last couple of years as you know uh, let's say twitter whatever else has increased we're quick to give all these opinions but not quick to hear someone else's point of view which is counterproductive because then we're never going to become familiar with someone else's road or where they come from and accept it and you know the essence of xeno is just the fear of oh you're different you're I'm not even going to will, I'm not even going to try to learn. And Devin, I think it's great if you're you know, going to go, go abroad, check out the world because it's so, there's so much beauty all out there. And to Dr. J's point earlier, same thing with India. If you, if I, when I would tell my friends in second, third, fifth grade that I was going to go visit, first thing, oh, do you go in the slum? Slum dog millionaire came out. Oh, it's, your cousins live like that, this and that. And it would, they, you know, they only show those parts of India and then they forget about the other beautiful parts. I'm like, one of the seven wonders is there, that kind of thing. And it more as I got into adulthood, they start to appreciate my background, the culture and everything. But again, the essence where it can be most impactful is when we're young and that's where it hurts the most too, because we're tr- starting to learn about ourselves, our own confidence. Exactly. And if someone's putting us down, it can, you know, take us into such a dark, dark place mentally. So the work that you guys are doing is great. Absolutely, and, and, and it's really important um, for parents to understand what their children are going through, right? Because when I think of immigrant parents, you know, they're, they're, their reference point is their country of origin, right? They're thinking, Nigerian, Indian, name the country. They're, think, they're thinking, look, this situation in the US is better than what we had in our home country. We came here to build a better life for you for opportunities that were not available for us in our home country. So this is a good situation. So you just need to ignore them. This is the kind of, the kind of advice parents would give, um, immigrant parents would give, ignore them, you know, ignore them. Don't mind them, well, don't mind them. That will take you only so far. Um, you know, you have to, like, like Dr., um, Dr. Sandeep was saying, you have to have an arsenal of responses. You do, you have to be able to neutralize the situation as necessary or, or come back with something humorous if you're funny. Not everybody's funny. So if you're not funny, you, you may want to watch some comedy acts before you try that. Because if you don't come quick with the humor, if it falls flat on your face, that's more, more fire they're going to throw on you, right? So you got to know how to neutralize it according to your own comfort level, right? And that takes, that takes time and practice. It takes practice and it takes, it takes conversations. It takes, um, it takes having, being able to even talk to your parents. And parents need to be aware of what's happening and not just give the advice of ignore it. Ignore it is not enough. They are harassing your children. They are bothering them in the school, in the classroom, in the hallway, in the, in the cafeteria. Your children can't focus on school because they're being harassed. So parents, I need my immigrant parents to raise their consciousness about what's happening to youth in this country. Racism is real. Xenophobia is real. Anti-Blackness is real. The darker you are, the more heat you're going to get in this country. That is the reality. So since we know that, now what kind of strategies can we, can we implement to protect our children, to protect ourselves, to protect our mental health? Our mental health. Do you know how exhausting it is to think through how you're gonna navigate a bully? Do you, do you know how mentally exhausting? Hey, in my wedding, the right clothes. Hey, is, 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 do I have any holes in my clothes? Hey, 
is, is, is it too bright? Does my skin look too dark? Does my skin look too? Is this is not no? Don't mind you. Not not to mention, I haven't looked at my homework yet. I'm still focused on how do I look because I don't want them to pick something out on me to tease. That is, my people, exhausting. It's exhausting. And then you have our food, our delicious home-cooked, delicious, nutritious, satisfying, smell, goodiness. I made that one up. Food. Man, we bring those foods to the cafeteria. We get dog, straight clowned. Do you hear me, parents? Straight clowned. Talk about, hey, listen to Shay. Shay will tell you, she'll tell you, doo-doo soup. Imagine. I'm eating my meal, trying to nourish my body before my next class and you call my food doo-doo soup. How dare you? So yeah, Shay needs to be able to come up with a response to deal with that. So parents, you have to help your kids navigate this. This is not easy. It's not easy. Somebody, imagine walking down your hallway and somebody pulling off your head wrap. Imagine, it happens. How have you protected your daughter against that? What have you told your daughter to do when that happens? What is she supposed to do? What is she supposed to do? Because at that moment, she is disgraced, embarrassed. So what tools have you prepared her with? These are the kinds of conversations we need to have, have with our kids because we're forcing them to navigate it on their own. That's not fair. They're children. They're, they're forming their identities. They don't know who they are. They're watching you. Role models, parents, community members, leaders, they're watching you as to how they should behave as human beings. They're watching you and we're show, We're not even showing them. It said, we have our blinders on. Oh, I don't see cola. I don't see, you don't see this? You don't see this black, black, big woman. You don't see this? You, you don't see this? It's a lie. Quit, quit with these lies. You see color, it's okay. We see, we come in all colors from the, from the whitest to the darkest. It's okay. That's how God made us. We love it. Melanin popping. It's y'all that have issues with it. We love it. We don't burn as quick. <laughs> we love it, right? But we need to be comfortable having these conversations instead of dodging, you know, oh, the, the R word, race, and everybody starts to hide under a bush. Man, come on, man. Race has been with us at the beginning of time. It's not going away. So let's have conversations about it so we can, so we can eat. I say, you know, I say, I say why have war? Let's eat fufu in peace. Everybody get a big bowl and we'll have palm nut soup and fufu. And if you want chicken, you can have chicken. If you want goat meat, whatever you want. Let's just all together, sit together and eat fufu. It's a, it's a traditional Nigerian, uh, West African dish. It's a starch that we have with a light, nice, light, nice light soups with turmeric and ginger and onion and all the stuff that's good for you. Let's all sit together and eat soup <laughs> and have real conversations about things that are driving us apart and they shouldn't. They really shouldn't because we're all people just trying to make a living to support ourselves and our families. That's all, at the, at the, at the bottom of it, that's all it is. All of us are here in the US, irrespective of your background, we're here just trying to make a living, support our families, 
in ourselves. That's it. So let's do it peaceably. Let's do it respectfully. Let's do it while trying to learn and understand each other's cultures and backgrounds instead of tearing each other apart like a bunch of animals. We can do better. We need to do better. 100%. And, and just one thing out Dr. J's point to, to parents and even, uh, you know, if you have a friend going through it, hear, hear them out. Always let yourself yeah. hear out and uh, pay attention to your initial remarks because our gut reaction, whether someone's stressed out or dealing with something uh, overwhelming or bullying even, our gut reactions are typically, oh, just ignore it. Or let's say if you're super anxious, oh, just calm down basically you're pointing out the obvious and it's one of those things where if that was easy enough to do they would do it so you right. saying something like that comes off more as a negative than a positive and sometimes especially youth i'll see it day in and day out where they'll say i went to go to a counselor i went to my parents but this is what they told me to do and because they see you as such a role model that might be the only one in or the only one time they'll come to you with their distress. And if you tell them something simple, they might feel like, well, shoot, my parents said to just let it go or ignore it. So they must've been able to, I can't. So therefore I'm weaker. So they're, I'm not going to tell them about this. And then they keep things more bottled up. Uh, you know, and that's, and, and that's something we tell parents all the time is hear them out because social media and the role social has on our lives now is different than before. And uh, you know, them coming to the country, first generation, et cetera. Sure. You the bullying, racism, all of that is, is going to stay around until we make a big, bigger impact on it. Uh, but they were able to ignore it and walk away from it because that's how the world kind of worked at the time. But now it's most important to hear things out because anxiety is on the rise, depression is on the rise, suicide's on the rise. And right. at, at least once a week, I see a youth uh, that listened to the bully and started to believe the bully and started to mm -hmm. think, okay, they are better off hurting themselves or trying to kill themselves or not being around and it's not worth getting to that point so if you hear something just just ask questions role model and uh, and then see what they're saying and like dr j was saying practice just practice what else could you say how could you yeah, deflect it how could you react and the more you're able to practice the more you're able to do it in in that session because as at that age we tend to freeze up we look around we don't want our friends to see we're we're That's afraid right. of how uh, you know, getting embarrassed or doing the wrong thing. So the more you're able to practice, the more it comes second nature and you can, uh, you know, navigate it in an assertive way, walk, walk, walk away, brush it off and be like, all right, on to the next one. Yeah. Again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, and that all, and one, it all takes one experience and they come home, tell yeah. your parents about it. And, and if you, if you're able to get through that small little battle, that's one in your arsenal and experience. And then you, you're ready for the next day. And the more you're able to do that repetitively, the easier it starts to become. Uh, but again, it starts with having the discussion, following a curriculum like this and, and practicing. That's right. If I could follow up on that as well, if, if, if the student is not comfortable talking to their parent for whatever reason, if the parent is not around, if their parent is not approachable about these topics, because you never know what is happening in the student's life. So talk with your aunts or uncles. Talk with somebody that you know has gone through it in some capacity, right? Like my, I remember my aunt Vicky, when I used to have challenges 
um, with bullying in school. My aunt Vicky would come up with the most smart, cutting answers and responses, and I would write them down and go home and memorize it. So that next time the bully came to me, I was ready, right? So, so go to your extended family members. Um, they may have gone through it. They can help you learn how to navigate it as well. Just find somebody you you can see as a confidant and brush those yes. things off. And like Dr. Jason mentioned, just do that, get it off your chest, vent, and then that allows you to you know make up different styles or ideas or ways to navigate it and mm -hmm. you know create it from there. So hopefully that can start the process and and go from there. But yeah, otherwise a curriculum like that, like Devin's creating or has created is I think so essential to start practicing navigating and getting familiar with it. So it's it's more of a common than it is something that we're unaware of. Yeah, yeah, you both, I'm so glad to be speaking with you both. Um, although, though we're running a little bit out of time, I really uh, would like for you both to answer just one more question that we have. So it's saying, why do younger children, or why are they more cruel and bullying? I immigrated from the Caribbeans when I was in third grade to the US. I got bullied for my food because of the smell of the strong seasonings. Children yeah. would sit on my backpack in the cubbies and would drop all of my stuff on the floor. And they would pick on me during recess because I only spoke Spanish. But when I joined middle school, people were a lot kinder. What would cause this change? Also, it did not stop until my parents got deeply involved. Why must it go that far for somebody to do something? Will communication about different cultures and teachings help with, um, with acceptance of younger kids? Um, so just to quickly start off this, because I, I would love for you both to really answer, but um, as far as like, I know, but when I joined middle school, people were a lot kinder. It's kind of interesting that you say that because usually in middle school is when people start to understand that we all look different. That's when cliques start to form. And that's when, you know, anything outside of your, um, anything outside of your norm, that's when people start to hate on others. That's for being different in any type of way. So I think it's pretty interesting <clears throat> that people would be kinder during that time. Maybe it was, they understood that this was wrong. They understood that that behavior is rude. Um, and then I understand that you said that parent, your parents got deeply involved. Unfortunately, like we were saying that oftentimes there, that is the case. Oftentimes students are also taken out of that school too, which is a, another thing. It's very sad to hear that. Um, and so now I just kind of want to turn it over to you guys. I wanted to start it off, but I'll turn it over to you guys. Dr. J, do you want to start? Um, I think one thing I, I would respond first by saying that, you know, students, kids start to identify differences in racial backgrounds as young as four or five years old. They can tell the difference between skin color and, you know, why is this person darker? Why is this person lighter? And they would even ask questions, you know, you know, I remember, I remember a white student um, uh, saying when I was, uh, when I first came to the U.S., it was a white student in the South. She, was, she looked at my skin and asked me if I was dirty. <laughs> she said that I was dark skinned because I was dirty. And I, and, I, and I remember thinking, why would you say that? I, just, I took a bath this morning, you know, but not, I, you know, but kids, kids, they see the difference, but they don't know how to explain it. And so that's why it's so important for parents to um, correct uh, misconceptions, correct misunderstandings when they see it instead of 
brushing it under the table or telling the kids, don't say things like that. Yes, yes. With the, if the child says something that's rude or disrespectful or can be seen as disrespectful, yes, definitely apologize. But also try to educate. Educate the child to understand that people come in different colors and different shapes and sizes. And we should, be, we should appreciate the differences that we see in people instead of calling out the differences. But if you want to learn more, go and learn more about the person. This is a person, this is a human being. They, have, they can have conversations. You can learn so much just by engaging in dialogue with this individual. So if you wanna learn more about my skin, come and know me. Come and get to know who I am. You know, get to know more about my people, get to know more about my food, my language, my culture. Educate yourself. That's one of the biggest things. You know, it's not the responsibility of people of color to educate non-people uh, non of color. It's not our responsibility. It's your responsibility. Educate yourself. You have YouTube, you, YouTube University, all that free education. What you waiting for, right? YouTube, grab a book, go to a library, you know, make some new friends, join a meetup, you know, join drjayslounge.com. We have these conversations regularly because I, the reason why is because I, I, I just don't understand what well, we know why. The curriculum is not addressing these issues. The, the teacher education programs aren't addressing these issues. And that's why I created the, the, the website because we have to have these conversations to help our children navigate their childhood. It, it, so they don't leave their childhood traumatized, paying Dr. Sandy thousands of dollars in therapy sessions and medications because they never healed from the childhood trauma. Tell them, tell them. So we need to, we need to have these conversations instead of, instead of graduating our kids traumatized. That's what we're doing. We're graduating our kids traumatized and it needs to stop because we're not helping them. We're not helping our society. We're not helping the United States. Look at the number of people that are depressed. Look at the number, I, I need, we need to check. I, I, um, I, I wish we had the latest stats on the, the numbers of, um, of, 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 of suicides within the last year. It's increasing, we know that, especially with COVID. So these issues are happening. So let's start, let's stop pushing it under the table. Let's stop hiding it in our closets and let's start having courageous conversations so that we can heal, so that we can move forward as a society, as a healthy society, not one full of anxiety and depressed and angry. We don't want that. That doesn't benefit anyone. That's not gonna improve our GDP either. <laughs> so we really need to do better as a society. We really do. And it, and it starts with the home, right? It starts in the home. It starts in the school. We need to stop any kind of bullying we see on its face. Stop it. Correct the person. Check the person. Whatever you need to do. Educate the person. Figure out what strategy is needed in that situation. But we need to stop it. 100%. Uh, backing everything Dr. J just mentioned, uh, one thing just, uh, I guess, go, just going to that question, differences with younger children versus adults, especially not adults, but the middle school is around the age of 10, 11, 12 is when we start to uh, learn how to think in an abstract way, which is kind of thinking outside the box, meaning if I do something, what are the consequences of it? What are the repercussions of it? What could be your feelings of what I said to you? How could it impact you when you leave my sight, so to speak? We don't have that when we're kids. We're more concrete and in that zone. So when that happens, 
We say stuff off the cuff. We look at someone's skin and react. And a lot of what we say is influenced by what our parents might be saying or doing or a family or what we absorb from cultural uh, media, social media or, or elsewhere. But that's one big difference between elementary and middle school. Uh, and like Devin mentioned, then around 11, 12, we start to realize that there's cliques, there's groups, et cetera. And you look back at elementary, like, yo, we used to be best friends. Now, why aren't we good? And things change dramatically. But a lot of that is uh, secondary to, again, the, the, the ability to think abstractly. Uh, and that's where a lot starts to occur. But it's, it's a good and a bad thing because our ability to think outside the box is great. But then we forget how much of a uh, mean person we may have been as at, when we're in elementary. But the difference there is in elementary, we, since we say things off the cuff, the intention to actually harm someone or hurt someone isn't always there. Uh, but we may say something that then leads to that kid going home and be like, wait, this was what was said. I don't know why they said it. So we'll still question what others say, but we won't know that the impact of what we say to right. someone is that intense. So, That's right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I think practicing and understanding. Sorry? Words matter. Our words, words matter. matter. Words matter. Actions matter. Doing something about what is happening matters and uh, i think yeah, the way again Devin's organized all of this and being able to have sessions on bullying which is again a very sensitive topic uh the more we start somewhere pursue it the more hopefully it starts to make an impact even if it's per one one person learning that's, uh, that's right. better than that person not being able to handle so hopefully you can continue this and keep it growing yeah thank you both and Dr. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great yes, conversation. My pleasure and honor to do it. Yes, it was good seeing you again. And thank you. And Dr. Sadiq, it was a pleasure meeting you. Peace and blessings yes. to you. I look forward to meeting you Likewise. again in person. Yes, hopeful. Yes. Thank After you. COVID. And thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> of course. When that happens, yes. Yeah. Would you both like to All share right. your social medias? Um, Dr. Jake, would you like to share your social media and website again? Yes, that would be awesome. So um, please like and subscribe. DrJsLounge.com is the email, is the website, DrJsLounge.com. And then the same social, same handle for social media, DrJsLounge on Instagram and, and Facebook. And then um, I really encourage people, you know, to take care of their health. You know, uh, if you don't have your health, nothing matters. And when we're, when, when we're being bullied, we often stop taking care of ourselves, right? Because you're just so stressed about what's happening to you. Connect with nature, go for walks, go for not nice, long, quiet walks, you know, exercise your body, dance, do things for yourself that makes you feel good. It's really reconnect with your culture, learn your language, whatever makes you feel whole, definitely focus on self-care. So that's one of the things we definitely emphasize in drjslounge.com in, in my, in, in, one-on-one -on -one consultations as well as in the dance programs that we offer. So please connect, stay connected and stay healthy. Please stay healthy. Thank you. And Dr. Cindy, would you like to share again? Uh, oh yeah, Twitter, I tend to get on. So that's at Sandeep Randhawa. Uh, and yeah, I think that you can find me on that, but tend to usually do more in-person or these type of uh, sessions uh, because again, social media is great, but sometimes I can make a comment on Twitter and that could be quickly navigated in the negative Absolutely. if a parent sees it or, yeah. So I try to keep things neutral there, but nonetheless, you can get at me at, at, uh, on, on Twitter at any time. And, uh, you know, if you're dealing with something, let somebody know it's okay to be not okay. 
everyone goes through things and again it's easier said than done but it starts with just saying something whether it's your friend whether it's your confidant whether it's your parent you want to know that they have they usually should have your best interests at heart so it starts with you letting them know so they can uh, help you deal with whatever you're dealing with well thank you both again and thank you everyone for listening uh remember to start your hashtag behind a screen chapter here um, and have these open and courageous conversations like these. Um, I actually linked it in the chat. I linked how you can start it. Um, just all you have to do is sign up on interview, the Humanity Rising interview, and you'll see it. Just start creating, I mean, start your hashtag behind the screen chapter. If you're interested in starting it at your school or environment in order to learn more about cyberbullying using the hashtag behind the screen curriculum, please fill out the agreement policy that is also linked in the chat too. Although everything's linked under the um, interview link, so you'll have everything. And remember to join the Humanity Rising movement. We are a student-led movement to create a more compassionate world through service. There's many different ways to get involved in Humanity Rising. I also host the Race to Speak Up podcast. I actually interviewed Dr. J, so another great conversation. Um, but the Race to Speak Up podcast is where I speak to change makers like Dr. J, about how they are working towards a more empathetic world through bullying prevention. Um, updates about the podcast and, up and updates about this live monthly webinar can all be found on my social media, which is just at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Visit humanityrising.org for more information as well. Um, and you can also visit my newly launched website, which is racetospeakup.com. Everything is linked, again, linked in the chat. Thank you all again for joining us. And if you have any questions about the monthly behind the screen webinar, feel free to contact us at ambassadors at humanityrising.org. And um, yeah, so hope you all have a great night. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>